0: This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Sit back
1: and enjoy.
0: Hello all, welcome to another episode of Unshared Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on Test Cricket by Unshared Cricket, cricket This is a big episode for us, Test Match fans, because we will be doing a review of the World Test Championship Final, which ended with New Zealand being victors, so a monumentous occasion if you are a Test Match fan and a big episode for us as well. Apart from that, we have plenty of uh, other Test Match related to also cover and some good news from around the cricketing world. So, in order to help us review all of these interesting games, we have a recurring uh, guest on the podcast, Nikhil. Hello Nikhil, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey Ajit, um, thanks so much for having me on. Great to be back here with Armchair and yeah, a lot of cricket around, so a lot to analyze and break down.
0: Indeed. You know, before we dive into the, uh, the World Test Championship final, so you are you are in the Caribbean and I just wanted to understand how are things with respect to COVID in the Caribbean, how are how how is the situation
1: well things are slowly improving um obviously you're still going to have those cases here and there but when you look in retrospect to what's happening around the world we have to be grateful because it's definitely much more controlled in the caribbean um some places more than others but hopefully you know we're getting back to that place of comfort and where we could have like minimal cases throughout the caribbean so i'm hoping very soon and not just in the caribbean but around the world that things can improve drastically um around and and people can go back to living life in normalcy
0: i have not been following the number of cases in your part of the world frankly you're in barbados aren't you
1: yes so basically we've had a couple a couple days zero cases some days you can have as many as five but it's a very small figure when you compare how many cases are in places like you know unfortunately india and, and other big massive countries around the world so i mean they're in our prayers and we're just hoping that things can improve worldwide
0: Here in Europe, again, we are now worried about the Delta variant, as it's called. And um, at least recently I was reading, the cases seem to have dropped a little. We are sort of just outside the second wave, as it was called. And things are slowly opening up here. For example, my club cricket will begin in a a couple of weeks' time. We are going to actually start uh, playing some league games. And we have been sort of warming up, playing some practice games on weekends. Now we can look forward to real you know, organized cricket here. But the problem is, I mean, they are actually worried. Towards the end of August, a third wave may begin, sort of fueled by this alpha and delta variants of the uh, sort of the strain. So that's one thing. But you know, in places like India, you're absolutely right. Cases are not really abating by a huge margin because, yeah, even by unofficial account, fifty thousand plus cases in India, and that's just a very scary number indeed. Uh, we're really hoping that you know uh, this this sort of goes down, this wave again abates, and for those of us who have family and friends in that part of the world, it's always a bit of a nervous time. Right, so we're really hoping it sort of abates, and uh, well, let's see how that goes. Now, if you were to dive in straight into the World Test Championship final, mm-hmm. were you able to catch this game, uh, Nikhil?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, it was very early morning, Ajit, but I couldn't not watch it. Um... Because such a historic clash, you know, the first of uh, history really between these two great teams. And I must say the standard of cricket was immense and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. So it was a, a highly contested battle, but it's unfortunate the ring sort of got in the way of things. But yes, I was grateful to, to be able to watch the cricket and, you know, admire some magnificence by two of the world's best test play nations. You know, when it comes to the number of runs that was scored,
0: how the conditions were, it's clear it was a it was a bowler-friendly game. I think I would I would support the Indian cricket team slightly ahead of most teams. It was a bit of a disappointment <laughs> that India lost. But you know, of all the teams out there, I think this is the one team, not only me, many people out there wouldn't begrudge a world trophy, do you think, the New Zealanders?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, New Zealand, you know, the way they play their cricket, uh, many people remember that World Cup final where they were so unlucky to have that heartbreak. Definitely. Um, And and just the way that New Zealand have gone about the last two years in this cycle in terms of test cricket, they deserve it. Um, They've produced some of the best players in the world. They've played as a team. They've really been a cut above the rest and the way they've gone about themselves, you know, before they carry this title of a team only being able to dominate at home, but they've shown going to places even as recently as England where they would have really demolished England in those two test matches. So, They've definitely come on leaps and bounds in terms of a test playing nation. And I mean, that fast bowling core, the deck that they have, and then a player like Kane Williamson, someone like a Devon Conway, who's recently come through the, the system. Yeah, they are definitely um, a pet, should be placed on a pedestal in terms of test nations. Obviously, winning the World Test Championship means that they are the best, and I think they rightfully deserve it. Uh, just a team that plays cricket the right way if you can say that. So, definitely happy to see New Zealand win it and I think they thoroughly deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, it was such a keen tussle. Even though it was
0: low 1st innings scores and low scores throughout, it was... You couldn't take your eyes off the action. At times, the run rate was like one and a half an hour, but you didn't care, right? So, such fantastic, fantastic, high-quality cricket, high-intensity cricket. I mean, you, you couldn't blink, you would miss some, some nice event. I mean, it might not have been a wicket. It might not have been a, something that big, but Every over had such big events that you know uh, you would always want to stay root to the action. I mean, batting first, you know, it, 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 in, in hindsight, maybe it, it you could think did India do the wrong thing by batting first? In, in hindsight, it was probably a bold decision and probably one that could have actually paid out if India had come to let's say three hundred or so. But you know, with all the with all the loss of time and loss of play, I think they did well when they came to two seventeen. So, thanks to Virat Kohli, a patient 44, and Rahane, 49. Also, from 64, no loss, almost right. You could think they would make more, but this this New Zealand bowling attack, by far from Kyle Jamieson, the man of the match, fantastic effort, and they were they were always at it. There was always at the bowlers, right? There was always at the batsmen. So, the batsmen had no respite, and the lower order. It came it came to be that you know the contributions from the two lower orders made all the difference. Do you think, Mickey?
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think New Zealand. I, I tweeted it during the Test match. For me, have the deepest batting lineup in the entire out of all the Test playing nations because when you have someone like a Neil Wagner, and I know firsthand, uh, he blazed sixty uh, not out recently against the West Indies at the end of last year. You've got Tim Saudi who's been able to hit so many sixes in Test cricket. Trent Boult is capable as well, and then Kyle Jamieson, who um, is you know his batting is very valuable in the shorter formats of the game. I think, personally, they have an extremely deep batting lineup, and and it showed where you had Saudi pitching in with 30, Jamison with 21, then not to mention um, Colin de Granholm, who's not really in that tail, but he still bolsters that batting lineup for New Zealand uh, when he comes in and he did it, he proved himself in terms of, and he he averages 36 in test cricket, so he's he's very valuable for them at that number of six or seven position. Um, So, yeah, I think New Zealand have got all the right parts to the puzzle, in terms of that four or five fast bowling, pace attack, and then even with the batsman, even when the top order doesn't fail, I mean sorry, when the top order doesn't fire, the Lord is able to pick up the slack. I thought India should have did a lot better. Virat Kohli, Cheteshwar Pujarai on day two, closed out things so nicely, being resilient to some good New Zealand bowling. It was unfortunate to see them, you know, have that capitulation in terms of India losing those quick wickets and I think it it ended up biting them, uh, coming back to bite them as the test match prolonged. I think there were two
0: of these uh, as far as the Indian first innings went. So one was from when Kohli was dismissed through to when Rahane was dismissed, right? So it was a three wicket slump in a matter of 30 runs, that, that was very crucial I thought. And the second one was definitely from look 7 for 213, you are looking at 250 probably in with most teams. You go to lunch and when you come back, you're already all out within Hmm. the addition of four runs. That's a big deal there. Because look, at the same stage, if you were to look at the New Zealand 11, they were again, let's say, 7 for 220 or even 7 for 215. On that stage, pretty much a similar stage, they added that additional 30 runs. So it makes a bit of a difference because in a low-scoring game like this, right, where your bowlers are almost more or less evenly matched, the resilience of the top order of your batting or the resilience even of the lower order really counts. Even those 15-20 runs extra you would get. Because for me, the way Ashwin played, for example, that 20 could have been very crucial if somebody could have added another 10 to it. Right? Jadeja hung in there. So, it, it was it was always going to be difficult. You had this perfect swinging conditions. You had Southie, Bolt and Kyle Jamison, I think uh, there was this article by Jared Kimber, right? As Kyle Jamison is almost like a lab-grown, perfect fast bowler. He, he, he delivered in the final and then, look, even, it must be said, the Indian bowlers did tap it. They, they sort of were not right up to it when they bowled at the end of the fourth day. But at the beginning of the fifth day, they came back, they sort of hit the right lengths. Shami was really, really effective, Ishan Sharma was good. Bumrah, little less effective than one would have hoped, but you know, these, these things can come and go. But even Ashwin pitched in with two wickets, so all in all, that 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 bowling attack, I think it is their job, more or less. So, they were able to uh, restrict New Zealand to less than a lead of, let's say, 30 40. It was not a big deal. 32 run lead is not a big deal. But in this context, I think India started well even in the second innings. So if you see, Rohit Sharma got another 30. So another very crucial stage or another crucial phase for this game was how the Indian openers played. I think Gill looked way too tentative and he was dismissed by Saudi. So it, it looked like it was sort of set up for him, right? The ball was always going out, going out. There was going to be one coming in, third or fourth ball after that. He was just trapped when trying to flick that uh, to the leg side. He was out. So, I thought that was very crucial because if they could have given India another 50-plus run start, just like what they did in the first inning, it would have made a huge difference. So, he was dismissed at 24. And Rohit Sharma's wicket was, I think, the, uh, the biggest wicket there. Right at the top of the order. Because this guy, if he stays any amount of time, you know, he will also continue to score he will make it easy for the people coming after him and this test match you felt it was not going to be another very big total that india would set up. because the bowler the bowling quality was very high and they were right at you all times uh, with you know you have these three people pitching up trying to get you out bolt saudi and Jameson. but you have Wagner who provides this sort of you know uh, the variety where he sorts of uh, sort of bounces you right and then what other thing that made a big difference is are not being able to make a big score. I'm not going to single him out as the only person who failed because he sort of did his job in a way, if you look at it, because he occupied the crease for more than 200 minutes in the test. And in these short, you know, short innings, that, that that's a considerable amount of time, but he couldn't kick on. What he usually does is he starts slow. We know he starts really slow, but then he couldn't really kick on and then provide that, sort of foundation on which the rest of Indian start of, you have all of these stroke makers, right? you have Kohli, you have Panth who come in, uh, so him and Rahane sort of hold the order together, so do you think it was worked out by the New Zealand bowlers before the match began, or do you think it was just one of those things, maybe some nerves
1: well I think New Zealand is clear to see that the execution was uh, magnificent and I say that to say they definitely did the research, you mentioned Tim sodi in your analysis, someone that is the best in the business at setting up batsmen. The way he bowled to Virat Kohli late on, I believe it was day four, uh, really rattled him. He struck him on the helmet. The New Zealanders, they have this way of working together. They've got this synergy uh, between them. I I think it's fantastic to watch. Really, you know, really used to what's talking about, the Australian attack, even the Indian attack. But this New Zealand bowling line, especially the Pacers, they go sort of under the radar. They have been throughout the years, but They've just been so effective. I, I believe they had a plan established for most of these batsmen. And you look at the scorecard from India, most of their batsmen were able to spend 20 to 30 deliveries at the crease or more. And that's really e- eradicating the vulnerable period for these batsmen. But New Zealand were able to stay persistent, stay disciplined, dry up the scoring areas, and not allow India to get away too much and, and get the wickets, which which obviously would prove crucial and allow them to win the game. So, I think overall, this New Zealand attack deserves immense credit and really should be modelled by a lot of these smaller or even lesser playing nations as something to aspire to because, I mean, they've shown what they're capable of doing and I think that fast bowling lineup in that World Test Championship final was the major reason why they were able to come out victorious.
0: Absolutely. So, again, those killer blows on the sixth morning, right? So, with getting Kohli and Pujara out very quickly and then After lunch, coming back, getting rid of Rahane, that left sort of punts hanging in there and trying to fight. And he had jadej of a company. I think they did a wonderful job. So it was not going to be a chase of 70 or 80. This Indian team is made up of sterner stuff. In spite of the, you know, the very stern examination they were put through, they hung in there. So a lot of credit goes to them. But, you know, in the overall analysis, you look at the scores from the Indian uh, middle order. Right in the second innings, except Pant, who you could say got away with making a very crucial 40. There are a bunch of teams there. Pujarat, 15, Boli 13, Ane 15, Jadeja, 16 and Sami, 13. So even Ashwin couldn't contribute much. So this is where I think another 10-10 runs, even by every each each one of these batters, could have made that difference. And I think if, if India had 170-175, they could have even fancied getting away with a draw. But I think kudos to the New Zealand bowlers, as I said, that, that, re, that, that persistence, that continuously coming at the batsmen at all times. Probably they bowled three or four wickets taking deliveries in most overs, right? And even the most resilient of batsmen, as Indian batsmen tried to be, they were going down and they had to give away their wicket. So for me, again, the next turning point was of course Rishabh Panth's wicket. Because him and Jadeja were hanging in there, but you you as a fan knew it had to be Panth who would bat it out, Right? Jadeja somehow was not finding ways to score, which he normally does. So they sort of kept him quiet, and same for Ashwin. Ashwin was going to, you know, going to try to chance his arm a little bit because you knew he was also, see, sensing that you know, by just being at the crease, he would not achieve much. So he was going to try to get some runs if possible. So again, not a lot from the Indian tale. A bit of a disappointment there because they lost the last four wickets for 15 runs. So from let's say 155 for uh, 6 156 6 they were all out for 170 14 15 runs that's a bit of a disappointment but look it, it speaks a lot about the quality of the new zealand bowlers in, in the second innings somebody like colin de home was not even required because it also shows how quick the new zealand bowlers were to keep up the intensity and continue going you no know, spell after spell so all in all it set up a it set up an intriguing let's say finale but there were enough overs left 50 overs 51 overs Was the result really ever in doubt
1: for you? Um, For sure. I mean, with the rain around, there was always uncertainty in this game. But it's good to see that we had a third and last day of cricket. And at the end of the day, the better team was able to get the result. Both of those teams played uh, fantastic cricket throughout the game. But I think New Zealand just showed their class a bit more in terms of the way they went about both of their second innings with ball and bat in hand. And it's good that we got a result. It's good for test cricket as well that after two long years of cricket... Uh, well, obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot changed. But still, after two long years of cricket and a, a big test cycle, you have a winner proving to be the best team. We read
0: after the game, Ken Williamson had to take some injections to his elbow to come and play. And he proved it, right? So in the two innings, he spent nearly uh, yeah, four hours almost at the threes. And that, that was a big difference. So his 52 in the, I thought in the second innings was the most crucial innings of the whole game. Because, look, It it was also one of the higher scores because there was only one other 50. But his 49 and his 52. But his 52 in the second innings was... Eventually, he started scoring. So, he was not completely uh, sort of hanging in there like how he did in the first innings where he let everybody around him score. In the second innings, he took the initiative himself. He scored at a decent strike rate towards the end, almost 60. And him and Devon Conway sort of set it up. Latham didn't look comfortable and... The moment Ashwin was introduced, you knew Ashwin was going to try to get him and he did. It can be debated if uh, the introduction of Ashwin was a bit late. But, you know, it's neither here nor there because sort of the conditions are still very much in favour of their aftermen. And I think I wouldn't blame Kohli there with that decision. But again, Williamson and Ross Taylor simply shut the door down. They just batted through with no panic, no no hurry. They knew they had 50 overs of time and they made sure they nearly took it all because the light stayed true. And they only won in the 46th over. So, you know, you could say India did really well to hang in there, try to see if they can get through to a draw. That's where you would think maybe, you know, 20 runs you would have made extra while batting. That meant you took some 6-8 overs out of the game while batting yourself. That meant the 6-8 overs were reduced. And that means you probably added those 20-25 runs extra. That could have been a real difference in towards the uh, last final analysis. But, you know, I wouldn't begrudge, begrudge this New Zealand team this victory.
1: Yeah, I agree with you uh, completely. And I mean, those decisions made by the captain, Virat Kohli, I'm sure he would have been trusted. And and his colleague in terms of Kay Williamson, well, he was magnificent at the crease, as you mentioned, rightfully, that 52 in a, in a crucial innings. And just show his maturity and show where, he, where he's the number two test batsman in the world.
0: Before we go on to the rest of the cricket, where do you see these two teams going from here? So, you know, New Zealand have scaled the pinnacle. They are now the World Test Championships. India are just behind them. But, you know, uh, these two are still the top two test teams in the world. So, do you see their stories diverging from here? Or do you see they will still occupy the summit for a longer time?
1: Well, I definitely think they will be two of the more dominant if you look at some of the best. However, that being said, I do think some of these other teams coming through the ranks are getting a lot better, are developing some young talent. So, it'll be interesting in terms of the next World Test championship. I'm sure the likes of Australia, England, even maybe South Africa, Pakistan for sure have shown great resurgence. We'll all be uh, contesting for a place in that final. And I think it's going to make some exciting, fantastic cricket.
0: You're absolutely right. This, this Indian team has the right approach and the right, let's say, the attitude. You could see their results the way they came back in Australia as well as in the home tour, in the home series against England. They're, they're sort of made up of the right stuff. It was a one-off for them. But then, I think for them, they'll want to win more in the Sena countries, right? And for Kane Williamson and his party, they'll want to come back to Asia and win more there as well. Win in Sri Lanka, win in Pakistan, win in India. So, some some new challenges that they will always have. But you're absolutely right. Even I see it this way. You know, come another cycle, come another World Test Championship cycle, I think at least one of these teams must still find themselves to be in the finals. So, this is is my prediction for the next World Test Championship cycle going forward. Let's see if that comes true. Now, let's let's move on. Let's go on to the other cricketing games. So, did you get to see the women's test between India and uh, England?
1: Yeah, I did get to watch some of that historic test. Obviously, not all based on time difference here in Barbados, but it was a great event. I'm uh, really happy to see the ICC putting on something like that. Uh, definitely history, and I would love to see a lot more. Women's cricket playing in the longer format of the game. I thought it was highly competitive. Saw some great performances, and I mean, I would, I can't wait to watch the West Indies women playing a Test match very soon. Hopefully, indeed. Look, uh,
0: it, it's not often that we get to see Test cricket, and I was worried this golden generation of Indian women might actually never get to play one. But at least they got to play one, and they showed what they're made of. So it's unfortunate their Indian male counterparts couldn't take a leaf out of their book and bat out the last day, but. It, it was going to be very competitive game, no doubt. But halfway through, it looked like it was England's game to win, right? So England batted first, in spite of some very serious, serious contributions. They could have gone on to make much more, but you know the Indian women bowling did well, except for the, the problem that most Indian teams somehow face: they are unable to get rid of tails. So from again, you know, so seven for two seventy or so. Uh, they were able to get to 396 for nine thanks to Sophia Dunkley and then uh, Anya Sol, right? So these both very experienced cricketers, that way at least Anya is very experienced, Sophia Dunkley sort of making her way through the uh, international cricket. They really put on a very impressive partnership and then they took England to a score that you could say is sort of match winning, right, in a four-day game. So when it came to bowling, Indian women, Sneha Rana, which we we'll again, is the name we'll discuss later on and Diti Sharma did it very well. So, there were plenty of debutants right, on both sides because this is a test match being played after a while. And England had played a test match in 2019, but India had not in seven years. So, there were plenty of debutants, so it was nice to see. Somebody like Jhulan Goswami, right? She's sort of, um, I don't know, Courtney Walsh of women's cricket probably, a fast bowler who goes on and on and gets better with age. So, it was good to see her coming in and delivering, doing her bit for the Indian team. From that point on, you know, India really, really played well. The Indian opening pair put on... 167, and you thought, you know, India have a measure of this. But then the England bowling, as you say, they were there or thereabouts, just like the New Zealand attack that we discussed. They kept attacking, and the Indian women faltered. The moment they lost the top two, Shefali Verma on debut scored 96, really unlucky to miss out on 100, and Smriti Mandana scored 78. But then, apart from Deepti Sharma, nobody really played a very valuable innings, and they would really rue that. So, from 167 for no loss to 231 all out, they, they sort of let themselves down and as a result had to follow on. So, Sophie Eccleston also chipping in with some wickets, four wickets, and then Heather Knight, the skipper sort of bringing herself on, taking two wickets, and the rest of the wickets being shared among the bowlers. Again, in the second innings, Indian women lost Nuthi Mandana very early. So, from one for 29, then you see you see the quality of the batting shown too, because Shefali Verma and Deepti Sharma took the Indian uh, Indians overnight close without any further losses. On the last day, Look, there was no way back. From that. They they had to bat out the day to secure a draw, and that's exactly what they did. So Deepti Sharma 54, Shafali Verma 63, Vikali Raj Harmanpreetkaar, the big names in the middle order sort of failing in both innings. But then the tail didn't give up. You see, this is the difference. So Puja Vastarkar, 12, but then in comes Nehraana again. There you go. This is a this is a player that's gone through a lot of ups and downs over the last couple of years, if you have read her personal story. It's a really inspiring one for all people, not just cricketers, right? So, she's come back into the team, taken four wickets in the first innings. And then, when it came to really, really deliver at 6 for 189 and with plenty of overs still left in the game, more than half the day left, you could have said, "This this is it. If the same thing that the Indian men's team showed, the same backbone, this match would have been over. Probably an innings victory for England. But then, look at what happened. They stuck out. So, Nehrana kept scoring. You know, she scored at a strike rate of nearly 52. And 80 not out on the last day. That's that's like invaluable, right? And then from there, Shika Pandey stood, stood with her for more than an hour. And Tanya Bhatia, the keeper, who for unknown reasons was batting very, very low in the order. But this was a proper bat, batter, right? She was coming. She was coming in and they just didn't give up. So, they batted out almost, you know, towards the end about, I think about 30 overs just by themselves. And they're able to secure huh? a draw. What are your thoughts on how did you see this game flowing?
1: Yeah, it was, as, as you said, ebbs and flows in terms of good contested cricket. And it was a keen battle between both teams. Great to see that fight shown by India on the fourth day. I would have loved to see another day to see how this would have petered out because the fight India put up in that second innings really sort of balanced off things nicely. But Shafali Verma for me was really extraordinary to see her younger than me actually and she be able to score that on debut uh those two innings those were of great maturity definitely for way older than her age so the fact that india are able to produce talent like that in the women's game i think it speaks very well for what they're doing at that level and all in all as you said before historic test match and i hope to see much more of it um in the future look
0: there were some unsavory stories that came out about the indian women's team and how I must say the BCCA has been treating them. right? I think this performance and this contrasting performance by the men and women in a matter of days should show them how good Indian women's cricket is and how much more they deserve in terms of remuneration, in terms of encouragement, right? in terms of every other facility that can be given to them. This, this, this is the right approach and the right way the Indian women have shown up the organization that's sort of running cricket in India to give them a wake-up call that Indian women need and deserve so much more than what they're currently being given. So I hope, you know, the right people are taking account of what's happening here and are able to reward the Indian women's team. Right. Going forward, now we come to your uh, part of the world. The second test happening at uh, Grosely lay between uh, South Africa and West Indies ended again. In, I must say a sort of a one-sided game, fortunately for West Indies. Right? Would you like to take us through the game and your thoughts about it?
1: Yeah, it was very disappointing from a West Indies perspective. Um, You know, the way the West Indies would have started against South Africa, first winning the toss, electing to bowl first this time, I already thought, you know, things would have been a lot different. Unfortunately, it it wasn't to be. Um, But yeah, so the West Indies, you know, being able to restrict South Africa for that 298 in the first innings, I thought that was a competitive score. And then... It's just the batting. The batting has failed throughout the tournament, losing those two early wickets at eight for two. Uh, It was good to see some, some fight put up by Shea Hope and Jermaine Blackwood, but this has been the problem, the application. And I think when you're not able to cross 200 at all in the series, it never speaks well for your batting. But even in the second innings, I mean, the bowlers did their part. Kimah Roach was fantastic. Young Jaden Sears, 19 years old. Even Kyle Mears made an impact with his six wickets in the series. But... With 324 runs to win, being 90 for two as well, in that partnership with Kieran Powell and Kyle Mears, I really thought we had a good chance of winning the game. It's just with with two days left, um, time was never an issue. The only problem was his lack of application. Yet again, lapsing concentration uh, caused Kyle Mears and Powell to to give their wickets away. And a a brilliant hat-trick by Keisha Maharaj meant that we had no chance. But I must also credit the South Africans, the bowling was really, a, a, they put on a clinic in terms of Kagiso Rabada, Andre Narkie, and Lungi Ngidi, three of soon to be the best in the world, really, in test cricket. And it was great to watch them just go about their work in the series and, and be so dominant over the West Indies. So all in all, very disappointed from the West Indies in terms of test series, their first loss of the year. But a lot to pick from it in terms of where we can work on and get ready for a big so, a Pakistan series coming up later in the year.
0: Uh, I was also a bit disappointed with the batting and I caught glimpses of the game here and there with so much cricket going on. But, you know, I expect more from the West Indies team these days, especially after such amazing away victory in Bangladesh, in sprint friendly conditions, completely alien. Basically. They went out there, won the series 2 nil, right? It was a big deal. And then coming home, you lose the first game. Okay, your honeymoon period is over. But then you wake up, you usually take the second game. But I think the South African uh, 11 and this bowling attack was definitely overpowering It is one thing you can be sure of, right? Anyone who's seen this series will not make fast bouncy wickets from these balls. They are going to roll you over, right? I still remember how the first test went and how, how it was with West Indians in the in both the innings, be said. In this game though, look, two ninety-eight from them, it was it was not that big a score. It was sort of par score for that pick, I thought. Right? So where West Indies really let themselves down was in the first innings. So, not a lot from the openers throughout in all the four innings. Try Hope back into the 11-43, fighting innings, I agree. So, Royston Chase, he couldn't come up with the goods again in the second test. He's, he sort of did his bit in the second innings of the first test. But he I always expect him to score when the chips are down. right? Even a useful 30 he usually comes up with. He couldn't do that. Tyre Myers, no. He, he couldn't get it going. I think Kyle Mars is very good, but I think he needs to grow a little. I would have probably gone with a Darren Bravo ahead of him. Or maybe even Darren Bravo ahead of a Kyron Powell for the second test. But those are all by the buys at this stage, right? And then Jermaine Blackwood was the only one who showed some guts. He usually scores when the tips are down. He again did that for West Indies. But then when you are scoring at half the runs your opposition has made on a competitive pitch, it's going to be very, very difficult, right? And then in the second innings, I thought the West Indian bowlers finally woke up and you had 7-for-73 seven you had South Africa on the month. Then you had to get through South Africa under 100. But you know, Rabada with the fact made a big difference. He continued to play his strokes. I thought in in that in that period, somehow, sort of, West Indies switched off for a very short period of time. 78 overs and that made all the difference. Shannon Gabriel didn't look uh, really up there in the second innings. I don't know, maybe he was not fully fit. Maybe something was the issue. He didn't look up for it. And Jaden Seals, I think, a really good discovery as far as West Indians is concerned. He looks like a clone of Rabada for me. The way he bowls, the way he runs in, even his physique. And I think he, he can go to become the next big thing. I think he has a couple of seasons ahead of him yet. Somehow, Jason Holder, the bowler, was not really present. Kimar tried his bit in both the tests, I would say. That was a bit of a letdown for me. because Again, could they have played a spinner... Head of four bowlers, because you had Kyle Myler, Kyle Myers who could chip in, right? And he did. So, could you have gone in with one spinner, one specialist spinner, I'm thinking. But again, these are all by the by for me, because, again, look, they, they, they showed it. So, they can showed it. A spinner can be lethal in the third and the fourth innings. And Keshav Maharaj, he's, he's again, took he took a 5-4 in away conditions. And in, I wouldn't call these conditions especially spin-friendly, right? So, there you go, he showed it. Sort of his fast bowlers laid down the platform him. But then there was always the, the let's say, the, the, the fear of what Norkia could do. But then it was Keshav Maharaj who snuck in. Took a hat-trick. And again, some decent contributions. Kyron Powell, I thought, did really well to hang in there for almost three hours. right? And German Blackwood, as always, a small contribution. But one of them had to go on. I was again looking for Kyle Myers to deliver something special. Maybe score a hundred or something and see if, you know, you could at least save some face. Then it, it came down to Himar Roach. Somehow the middle order didn't stand up. Jason Holder, the batsman, also didn't turn up bat, Right. All in all, do you see any 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 rays of uh, hope for West Indies from this series in terms of their performances?
1: Well, as I said, I think Kemal watched the discovery of Jaden Seals. But if you look at from a batting perspective, there's a lot of work to be done. Pakistan are going to come with a similar bowling attack uh, with those games scheduled to be in Jamaica. And we, we need to be better, regardless of wherever the cricket is played or whoever the opposition is. If you bat like this in a series, you're never going to win a test match. So a lot of work to be done, I think, selection as well, but the Westernies must be a lot better in terms of the application shown with bat in hand. There are some things we have to try
0: and change. Uh, I think the Indian board would be very slowly watching and probably will have to make. I don't expect any drastic changes, really. This is a good, the core of the uh, squad is really good, but they will need to give better account for themselves, right? They have the experience, they have the talent, they have now give account a good account for themselves because they can't let themselves down in a home series like this again. Alright, let's see if they can bounce back. Usually, the West Indian team does find ways to bounce back. See. Now, going forward, there was one more international game, the first T20I between Sri Lanka and England. Well, the second one is sort of underway, but do you see Do you see them, uh, Sri Lanka, really putting up a good game here or any, having a good tournament at all?
1: unfortunately no I think England are really a cut above the rest plus they're playing at home as well we've already seen Josh Butler get 68 in the first game and Sri Lanka really didn't put up much of a fight in that first T20 only getting 129 on the board so no I I think England will be a bit too much for them that being said Sri Lanka have produced some exciting T20 stars recently we had a look at them when they played that T20 series in the West Indies like so Wanindu Hasaranga Um, they've got a lot of young guys coming through now Gwynethilica at the top of the order as well so I don't think they'll be able to withstand this England strong deep attack but that being said I'm sure this will be a great learning curve for those younger players to get some experience in both this and the ODA series First ODA first T28 they made
0: 129 for 7 but then you know, Dasun Shanaka made a 50 and it didn't look like they would even get anywhere near that score. It was all thanks to Dasun Shanaka that they got to 129. Sort of suddenly became something that they could bowl at, right? But this England team really dismissed it. With Josh Bresla scoring 68 on Boken and Jason Pye 36. Sort of they, they finished the chase pretty much by themselves within the first 10 hours, And then what remained was just formality. In the second game, which is currently in progress, Sri Lanka have made 111 for 7 in the 20 hours, And surprisingly, England are 30 for 3. In the sixth hour. So, they, you know, they are chasing a very low score. Jason Roy has survived through this torrid period. And he has Sam Billings for company. right? The number uh, 234 have failed for England. But then I think they have enough batting. They have Liam Livingston and some useful all-rounders in Sam Curran and David Willey and Chris Jordan. Who I think can sort of finish the game. But this one may yet throw up some surprises. So, let's see if, you know. I might have to eat my hat. And may pass a surprise to here. Now, going forward if you were to take a look at some of the international news related to cricket, so some, we'll begin with something from your book So Darren Sammy has been appointed as a member of the CWS board of directors, right? He's a independent non-member director. I actually don't know what that means, but could you shed some, could you shed some light on this? And how do you think this might be useful to West Indies in Africa?
1: Well, from what I read, he's been brought on as a, non-member director, as independent, basically, um, just to provide his insights, his expertise being played around all over the world in terms of T20 cricket. Obviously, he's captained the West Indies to two um, World Cups. And I think what he adds to that board will be more modern-day thinking in terms of cricket, him being exposed to so much franchise cricket, currently coaching at the PSL, the finals underway at, at the time of this recording. Uh, his team, Peshawazami, is in it even for the Zooks, St. Lucia Zooks, being in a administrative position for them this year as well. So I think he's got the expertise, being very experienced in terms of cricket for a long time. And it's good to see him sort of giving back, in a way, to West Indies cricket off the field now after playing for so many years and doing a good job as a captain. So I think it will be an asset to, to the West Indies board, especially because of that modern-day, new way of thinking around franchise cricket, etc. And it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. Absolutely. Look, the other thing is that
0: I would say he's he's being the better man or the bigger man. I don't think he was given an even hand towards the end of his career in terms of selections because of his, let's say, well-known spat with the then chairman of the board. But he, he still wants to contribute to the growth of cricket in the region. And that's very nice to see. And the board is now taking the right steps, first of all, in restituting some of those players who who had to, for one reason or the other, choose uh, franchisee cricket above, you know, sometimes never national duty. But then... Their experience and their, you know, uh, their skill is not to be wasted. At all times, West Indian teams, when it, especially when it comes to short formats, are very dangerous teams. And there is a World Cup coming up, right? So, they have appointed sort of the right person in Tyron Polar as a skipper and sort of allowed to build the team in his own image. He's been doing that and they're reasonably successful. And this is another move to bring another guy who's very successful on the field. He's won two World Cups for West Indies, right? And… Um, to bring him in the board and sort of give him a chance to sort of contribute in also setting up but you know from that to the other other part of the world where another executor or a, a nearly an executor was given a chance so muhammad nabi was inducted as a board member in the afghan cricket board and then he was relieved of it in a matter of a couple of weeks i see they right? have chosen to replace him with uh, uh ambassador uh, afghanistan to india and a very well-known uh, and a very important person there, uh, Farid uh, Mamunzai. But somehow it looks like, again, a very hasty move from the ACB.
1: Yeah, um, as you said, I haven't read in too much into it. Um, it's interesting to see you know, what's happened in terms of him being asked to be a board member and then removed. But I'm sure there's some more to the story. And I'm sure in the coming days we'll hear a bit more about it as well. Because there is a lot to be determined about that
0: when we are thinking of more Dirty Laundry being you know, aired, uh, there is this other news story that's been breaking out. So Manu Sahani, who's currently still the CEO, but on the bench, so to say, of the ICC, uh, there is a investigation going uh, around his, um, you know, the way of working, and they have, in in the meantime, hired uh, the, you know, the investi- the firm, House Coopers, right, for a cultural assessment. It looks like it, somebody that's related to the board had some relatives in this company. It's a huge company with you know, hundreds of thousands of people working for it worldwide. And it comes as something it comes as a bit of a sour, uh, sour grape story to read but we don't know how this goes so we'll keep an eye on it. So as we know Manusani has been sort of put on, uh, put on uh, leave, paid leave, administrative leave as it's called, and then now there's an ongoing uh, investigation into whether he was doing his job the right way and whether it's the right attitude and so on and so on. So it remains to be seen how this will turn out but It it really doesn't bode well for us cricket fans to see that even the apex body that is running cricket is not able to get its you know house in order. It's sort of an unfortunate thing. But let's see how it goes. In other news, look the inaugural Euro T20 Slam. It looks like it's going to be postponed again by another year, second year in a row. And uh, for those of us who live in the Netherlands and other European countries, it's a bit of a blow. What are your thoughts on this, Nikhil?
1: Um, well, I guess with COVID-19 and all the surrounding, you know, uncertainty, it's un- it's, you know, people are unable to execute tournaments as they would like. And I mean, everybody can understand the decision by the URT 20 stamp to decide to postpone. And I'm looking forward to what will be an exciting tournament next year. Absolutely. So we really hope, you know, they're able to at least do
0: it in the upcoming year. And this coronavirus threat really dies down by 2021. And- as you rightly put it right at the beginning you know
1: uh,
0: normal see-to-life returns and you know sport is something that keeps us entertained and keeps our spirits up no doubt but uh, when you see certain international tournaments being held and some big leagues being held it it, it doesn't look good when they are not able to string it together there are enough countries out there in europe where there are very low cases and you could hold it in bubbles there because look they are holding the euro euro cup like football tournament in such a situation so I think they could have taken some things out of it. But okay, it's 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 not right to compare the Euro Cup to the European Super So we really hope, you know, in the upcoming year they may really be able to host it and host it successfully. In some other news, well, not very nice news if you are a Pakistan fan. So, Zalmi's Hyder Ali and Umay Asif are out of the PSL final because they were found to be in a bio bubble rules breach, and that that has actually cost uh, Haidar Ali more because. He's been pulled out of uh, the upcoming England and West Indies tour of uh, Pakistan. Do you think this is? We read different kinds of stories. We read sort of contrasting stories of how discipline is being meted out in and around the PSL. What is your opinion on this, Nikhil?
1: Well, to be honest, Ajay. Um, obviously, you don't want people breaching uh, bubbles. So I'm I'm sure the requisite personnel will take the, you know, required protocols because that's a that could be a very serious thing in terms of canceling tournaments because you can have a COVID nineteen outbreak within that bubble, which could be problematic. So I would hope that, you know, these guys are able to learn and it doesn't happen too often going forward again. Luckily, the tournament's at the finals now. So hopefully everything can be ended safely and I mean, we can continue to have safe cricket.
0: But I think Haider Ali, he's, he's a young and upcoming cricketer and this is a lesson for him going forward so that he doesn't really lose track of, uh, you know, sometimes discipline is the most important thing. We've seen careers being squandered by very, very talented critters with lack of discipline, and it probably is a wake-up call for him, and I think he'll learn his lesson from this point on. Kevin O'Brien, who was Ireland hero in their sort of initial years in ODIs and, you know, international cricket, he decided to hang up his boots in uh, in ODIs. So that basically means, you know, uh, he'll still be available for Test and T20s. But recently he was here in the Netherlands playing for Ireland in, against uh, Netherlands, and he did not contribute much in that series. But uh, do you really see him getting many more opportunities at the international level?
1: Well, I think a player of his experience will always be an asset to the Ireland team, you know, in terms of even maybe off the field, molding young talent and in T20 cricket, I still think he has a lot to offer, his all-around expertise. Many will remember that amazing World Cup performance against England and he's had a great career. So, you know, all good things must come to an end. and. I just want to say, you know, congratulations to him on a fantastic career and he will definitely be missed um, by many Ireland fans in terms of what he's been able to do for them.
0: Yeah, but he's going to hang around for a bit longer and his his guidance in the dressing room would be a big thing for those that are still learning the game. So, before we go to the trivia section, so look, I just discovered an interesting tweet by Kaustub Gudipati, a friend of the show on Twitter, that... In the game, there's a T20 game currently going on between. Or just finished between Bulgaria and Serbia, and there is uh, Arvinda De Silva, who's playing for Bulgaria, who scored a hundred. Okay, so the stat is that this is the first time in international cricket that there are two people with the exact same name that are representing different countries and have scored hundreds. Were you aware of this?
1: Well, no, I wasn't. That's a pretty amazing stat.
0: Indeed. So, when you look at his age, he's 23 and I think he was born around the time when Arvinda De Silva was a real hero in Sri Lanka. And he does look to be of Sri Lankan descent as well. So, it's no no, uh, surprise, right? Because, you know, there is a Mohammad Azaruddin who plays in the first-class setup and some of the IPL teams in India. And he's also of the age where he would be born when there was a certain Mohammad Azaruddin in India who was then the captain of India or something. So, this can happen. But who knows? Uh, this Mohammad Azharuddin, whom we are talking of, may one day represent India and score hundreds. So, then we will see the second such thing happen, but it's such a rare occurrence, I thought it'll, I'll just mention it as a fun fact. Now, going on to the trivia section. Trivia question from the previous episode. Nikhil, I'll ask you, maybe you have an idea. It's not a fun question, it's not a very serious question, but what was England's test ranking after their loss to New Zealand in the series in 1999? So, this is sort of on the back of New Zealand's series victory in England. In the previous episode, right? So, the previous time New Zealand did that was in 1999. But after that, England had a very interesting ranking. England testing. So, can you guess what the ranking was?
1: Well, I think it's very tough for me to answer based on the fact that it was two years before I was born. But, that being said, <laughs> I'll give it a try and say that the England team were struggling and were somewhere low. So, I'll say maybe uh, seventh. That's
0: a good one. No, but they were ninth. Okay, so, they were by eight at bottom of the order, they were below Zimbabwe and every other team. Wow. So that's the answer to the question. And it's never happened since. And it's never happened since they were started calculating rankings But that it happened once. Yeah. But they absolutely hit the right so that's just a trivia question. So the trivia question from this episode who was the previous bowler to take a test hat trick for South Africa before case of March? And when did this happen? And if you have an answer, maybe you can give it to me off air of course. So, as I said, we try to keep our questions sort of related to the, the event on the field, let's say.
1: So, do you have an idea? Um, I think I know who it is, but for I don't want to spoil it for your listeners. Um, but there's only been two people in terms of South African cricket to do something like that. So, yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure I'll be listening to the next episode to find out if my answer was right. Absolutely. You can let us know off air. And I think you've got it right. And that's a fantastic big
0: clue. That is given to our listeners. So let's see if our listeners are giving us some answers. So as always, they can get in touch with us uh, if via mail, male we are Twitter at also on Instagram at So I would like to say thanks a lot, Nikhil, for uh, guest uh, hosting our show with me. And uh, yeah, we, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Nikhil.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I always say it's been great to come back on the show and no, I definitely enjoyed it and looking forward to rejoining the show and um, hopefully we can get some more exciting cricket around the world improving with the COVID-19 pandemic situation uh, Would you like to give out some links where our listeners could also listen to you maybe some social media presence some upcoming events um, No, you can just find me at Nick Uttam that's N-I-K-U-T-T-A-M across all platforms and forward further engaging with a lot of you in terms of all this exciting cricket going around the world all right, thanks a lot and have a nice day wherever you are. Thank you so much, Ajay, and have the same to all your listeners. Bye bye. This is the
0: Armchair Cricket Podcast. Sit back and enjoy.